Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the 237 Film School Podcast with me, Martin Law. Now, today I am interviewing Jamie Noel, who is a writer-director, and he has just released a £15,000 feature film, One Five. So when you consider that a micro-budget feature is 100000 I think we need a new term for a 15 grand feature. Lilo is the film, and you can view it on Amazon Prime, amongst other places. Now, Jamie's worked in the industry for a number of years in different roles. He's multi-talented. He's worked as an editor, as well as documentary filmmaker. Now, Jamie made a 11-minute short film a couple of years ago called His Wake, which you can view on Vimeo. I'll put the link in the description of the episode. And Jamie got funding for that short film. The total budget was £8,000. So that's one of the things I wanted to really chat to Jamie about, comparing an eight grand short film with a 15 grand feature film. So here is Jamie Noel. So Jamie, you've made a 15 grand feature film. How hard was making a feature for that kind of money? I always have an issue with, with anybody saying that filmmaking is hard. <laughs> you know, I'm from a working class background. I, I, I grew up with people who literally dig ditches for, for a living and, you know, graft nine to six, come home, sweating, knackered. I love making films. So like no matter how stressful or difficult or frustrating it can be, it's, it's never hard. But I suppose in terms of how difficult was it to raise the money and how difficult it was to get the project off the ground? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's a really tough question because I suppose what happened was we were on, we were trying to get it made for 150,000. That was after a lot of work uh, with, with the script as it was maybe four or five years ago. Um, we, we, we got it through a line producer who sort of detailed how much he thought it would cost. That was about 250,000. Then we worked very hard to get it down to 150,000 because we were using the looking to use the SEIS scheme um, to, to get investors uh, on board with that, um, which is kind of a government subsidy for tax tax break for investors. And then we were looking um, to, to go through uh, bond bodies like uh, Film London, um, which is 150,000 is, is exactly what they give you. So your budget has to be 150,000. So there was that was kind of the budget we were looking at. And then I made a short film um, a couple of years ago called His Wake with Film London um, after they'd rejected us. Um, for, when we were trying to get it made for 150,000, we, we applied to Film London. We got through to the interview stage. They ultimately uh, didn't take us through to the next stage. So I went back, made a short film, went back to them um, with the script and they they give us some money to make that short film as a result of that you kind of get on not a circuit but you start going to lectures and and, and uh, talks and uh, you meet mentors and you meet other filmmakers and you suddenly start just getting a little bit more knowledge about how people progress from making short films to features and the stories that kept coming up just seems like a theme was repeating, which is that they'd got 150,000, 250,000, maybe half a million. And then they had to jump through hoops and hoops and hoops 
and make rewrites and rewrites after rewrites before they got to make a film that in the end ultimately wasn't what they originally envisioned um, and that level of artistic compromise I felt like although that would be worth it in, in one in sort of careerist terms um, if I made compromises as far as the budget is concerned I think I would lose less in in terms of making what I wanted to, to see. Cool, um, the creative element of it. That's it. I went back to the drawing board, completely gutted the logistics of, of the production, um, scaled it down to a documentary-sized crew, and that's how we got it down to 15,000. We didn't lose hardly any of the story. A couple of the characters were consolidated. A couple of scenes were jettisoned. I think, you know, a shotgun became a sledgehammer, that sort of that sort of thing, you know, and it ultimately a lot of the changes and choices we made to save budgets as far as the story is concerned, served the story. Logistics wise, you're just trying to get less people on set, less mouths to feed, less time between changes. And it starts to free you up because, you know, you're, you're not shooting with an Alexa, you're shooting with a DSLR camera. Um, you, you you don't have to try and mini you know uh, micromanage twenty five bodies on set. You you manage in three or four. You know you take on a lot of tasks yourself. People multitask. Yeah, I, I think it's much easier than people think. Um, obviously, getting even getting on people on board like the actors. Once you interviewed actors or talked to actors. The right actors were the ones that the most were the most enthusiastic about the process, you know, because a lot of actors are trying to get their own projects up and running anyway. And so we're living in this, I suppose, a culture now where everybody's very DIY, you know, uh, YouTube, Vimeo, uh, Instagram, people always upload films of themselves, uh, actors self-tape. So they're very aware that, you know, if you're a, a budding artist who can't get funding for your project going out and doing it yourself is something that's very common so you know getting the talent was 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 fairly easy as well um, right. so if you if you don't mind me asking then obviously with the budget how much of the budget was spent on the actors all all of the budget was the was the, the was getting people to set paying people we paid people minimum wage everybody was paid the same wage um, I wanted to pay everybody 100 a day. I know that's not much more than minimum wage, but that felt more healthy to me. But eventually I had to sort of say, look, it's going to have to be £75 um, a day. Um, now, you know, some actors were only on set for a day and some actors don't get paid for working on a short film for a day. So, you know, to get a credit on a feature, and I'm not saying that, you know, I, I would love to pay everybody much more. Um, and I'm not from that camp that's like, oh, you, you know, people should just be grateful to be working. I'm, I just don't believe in that. You know, I've worked for free so many years of my life when I was getting into the industry. And it's just it's just not on, really. So, you know, I, I everybody got paid more than me, put it that way. But um, and, and then they got a percentage in whatever profit the film may or may not make. Um, and hopefully it, it will make something. And it, even though they won't, you know, get a lot of money from that, at least 
we're all in it together. We're getting paid a certain percentage depending on our input. So where did you find the actors? I know you had a casting director um, on the film, but obviously equity rates are higher than minimum wage. I think I looked into it and I think there was like a minimum amount that you could pay an actor for a film of under a certain budget that, yeah. we, you know, and it was, I think it was like £138 a day, which right. I guess is still relatively cheap, but obviously let's say 40, 40 well, obviously in, in this case, it's like 50, 60 pounds more per person per day. So it is going to add up and eat into it. So do you feel that by having to make essentially a non-equity film for, for lower money, do you feel that you've you've lost anything or, or were you very happy with the actors that you got? The start of the actors, I believe, uh, are as good as, you know, any, anybody out there at this level. I think the, the, the thing about, especially living in London, you do have a pool of talent um, that, you know, it's a saturated market. So you have more talent than there are jobs. And so that, I don't mean to sound mercenary, but that feeds into um, productions of this size or even short films. You will yeah, always that goes find, in your favour, doesn't it? Definitely. Yeah, you will always find really good talent and really good actors who who need, who, you know, they might be very successful in theatre, they might have, some soap roles, uh, they might be just starting out, um, but they're, they are hungry um, in as much as you are, uh, you know, I am at this stage. I, I need to work, I need to get things done, and they are looking to, you know, get a role where there's a, a bigger role in a, in, a, in a production or a role that sort of shows that they have more range. You know, it's sure real fodder at the end of the day. And... Um, and it's been, look, they've all become very good friends and it's been a very lovely process to sort of see, um, you know, we went to Romford Film Festival uh, the other month and we all went together. There was quite a few of the actors there. There wasn't the whole cast, but, you know, um, and it's just great to see everybody and everybody supports each other in, in, in their own little endeavours. So it becomes kind of like a very, um, there's a lot of camaraderie there um, and, yeah, I think it's just a well worth, you know, like if, if, if every, I meet a lot of people who are very sort of, you know, where am I going to get actors from? Should I do this? And, and all it's missing is the effort. Just just put the effort in, put yourself out there, put your material out there and people will start, you, you'll start meeting some really great and talented people. So obviously you mentioned your short film, His Wake. Now, you said that you got funding f um, for that through um, Film London. Now, even getting that funding for, for a short film is, is difficult, isn't it? So your own background, I think, I believe you've been working freelance for the last 15, 20 years, something, is that right? Yeah, yeah, about that. I mean, I've done, I've done all sorts. I've worked, um, I worked in post-production in Soho, then I worked in uh, a tape library this morning for ITV. Um, you know, just slowly, just meandering from one part of the industry to the other, always trying to get towards film just not knowing how to do it and not having those contacts again you know you, you come down to, to to London from up north a little bit wide-eyed and and kind of naive to how it's all going to work and you constantly meet people who've been downtrodden by the effort um and suppose it's part naivety part ignorance <laughs> and, and part just complete delusion to think that you could ever just you know suddenly just j jump into the industry. But yeah, I suppose um, 
again, I think all the opportunities that I've had with, with making short films, that side of the industry has come from getting the script out there. Just starting saying, I've got a script, you know, are you interested in this? You know, I used to work with a guy in, in the corporate side of things. He was a, a filmmaker and he kind of took an interest and other people took interests. And you just, if you put yourself out there, things slowly start to pick up. So the think, networking and contacts, that is very important. I, I think so. Yeah, I think, I think, I mean, it's a bit of a cliche, but it is. But you won't get that network without material. So even if you're just making something on your iPhone or if you've got a script and you're holding back on that script, hoping that you're going to bump into Steven Spielberg, you know, and then you're going to pitch him. Don't just pitch everybody. Pitch your mum, pitch your dad, pitch your sisters, pitch your brother, you know, because you never know who's going to, how they're going to be able to support you. You know, as soon as I started asking for finance, for example, I just, I just started asking people, like anybody, like friends that I hadn't seen for years and years, school friends, I, I, I didn't ask them directly. I just asked if they'd know anybody that, that invests, that might be somebody who, I don't know, invests in cryptocurrency or has, has you know, properties or, or whatever, those type of people. And soon people start thinking, oh, you know what, actually, I might know somebody. I, you know, I was out at a club the other day. I was talking to somebody. Somebody from my work does that. And suddenly you just start getting, you know, people's emails and it takes a while to for people to contact back but you get nuggets of information here and uh leads there you know and it's i think it's the same not just with finance but just you know approaching actors approaching dps all that sort of stuff you just need to put yourself out there so with regards to comparing your short film his wake which you got a budget through um a scheme and i believe that was eight thousand pounds is that right it it, it cost eight thousand pounds the scheme gave us Four thousand pounds, I believe it was. It was either three or three or four thousand pounds. It's under Film London, and it's for new directors and producers, and and they, they kind of have six hundred six hundred people, I think, over six hundred people applied. They whittle that down to around twenty five, I think, and then and then they break that down um, a bit further. But the, you know, the caliber of the films that come out of there are, pr- are pretty high. There's been some, you know, BAFTA award winning shorts uh, that come out of there. Um, uh, a lot of the films go on to, to get shown at the London Film Festival. Um, but that's, it's almost like the X Factor route, you know? You, 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 you're in front of a panel, um, they judge your script, um, they give you advice and mentorship and you have to go back and rewrite and they have to put a budget forward and um, it's very, formal in, in that, that sort of sense and it's, it's very much like a competition and although I enjoyed it and loved it and it's, it's opened a lot of opportunities and I, and I would do it again in a heartbeat I don't know whether it's for everyone and I don't uh, you know especially say you wanted to make horror films you know that was your passion I don't think going that route I don't think they're open to that really um, it's very much the art house, social justice tinted style films. Yeah, and, and and with regards to from you first applying when you sent your application in to eventually first day of filming, how long was that process then? Because it sounds like it's a long process. It's about I think it's just over a year. So you know, um, I think they've, they've they've shortened it down now. They might be doing two 
every year so it's more of a six month period but from sending off that script and the budget and kind of a breakdown of who's going to be in it like a bit of a pitch deck from that moment to you filming it that's definitely a year like from it going to like a film festival the whole process would be about a year and then wow. and then you've and then once you've applied to the first film festival which is london film festival you'll probably spend the next year and some films are still doing the film festival circuit now so the whole process could be about three years until you sort of put that film to bed. That process, I think, is great. I think it's really good, but you're not guaranteed that that film is going to get made. So if, for example, you are um, somebody who's working in the corporate sector of, of filmmaking or you have any sort of job where you are able to save up, if you can save up four grand, I would, I would recommend saving up four grand. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, essentially you're waiting. I know that you're getting more than just the money through the scheme. I know that there's a bit of mentoring and they're offering you certain things as well. But essentially you got a, you got £4,000, but you were kind of essentially delayed from when you potentially was ready in your mind to make it. Yeah, and, and, and probably about six months before you make it, probably about eight months till you actually make it physically. And that's a lot of pressure to be going through these you know, interviews and uh, kind of, uh, you know, people being sent through to the next round. So there's a good chance that after all this time and effort that your film won't be made. At the same time, I think that's obviously very reflective of the industry itself. So I don't think every filmmaker is entitled to have their film made and shown on the big screen. You know, I think filmmakers by their very nature feel a bit entitled to, to everything. But at the same time, you know, if you're just... I, I think this stage where you're just making shorts and you're just finding out who you are should be the the part of your career where you experiment and you play and you and you get to push the boundaries. And unfortunately, these type of schemes, that I mean, I'm not saying they're artistically sort of restrictive, but they do try to push you into a certain formula, a, a well-trodden formula, you know. And I think. Like if you go on Vimeo, for example, some of the most exciting films on the planet are shown there, sometimes exclusively online. And they're trying to push, a lot of filmmakers online now are trying to push the boundaries of form and content and structure um, and play around with that. And I think, you know, if you can afford three grand, four grand, I'm not saying everybody can afford that, but if you can, if you can save up that, if you can sacrifice a little bit of your money that goes into clothes or partying then you know um i think that would be just as worthy a route to go so you got about half then of the budget of your short film his wake through that scheme and then the other half was that right raised privately we did a little kickstarter i think we got a bit of money from that and then i put in a grand myself so yeah i think we got three grand from the kickstarter which was pretty much um, my producer. There was a few people that I knew putting money, but my, I think a lot of that was from my producer's network. Um, and then I put in a grand um, at the end of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the other thing that you get from uh, these schemes is, is, you know, they do promote your film and it's very prestigious. And to get into London Film Festival, I would never get in that London Film Festival with a, I doubt I would with a film of my own, you know, just on my own. So, yeah, there's so much that you do get from it. Um, so I, I think it's, 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 
you know, there's there's pluses and minuses to every route that you take. Um, I just think people need to be aware that there's not just one route. Definitely, yeah. And I guess the interesting thing there is the comparison. So you made an 11-minute short film in his wake, which had a budget of around 8,000, and then you made... (laughs) You made a ninety-minute feature for fifteen thousand. Yeah, I mean, just saying it out loud and hearing it, you know, it, it's it's quite crazy, isn't it? I mean, yeah. Well, there's something that happens on every set that I'm on that costs a lot of money. Um, there's a point in the day where I look around the set and I look at what's being done, and I think we could do this. We could, if we did this every day, we could make a film. You know, this is corporate level stuff where I've been sent to a shoot. It's just me, a sound guy, uh, maybe a bit of, you know, bit of lighting. But um, maybe we've like, we used to, I used to work for this company. We used to hire private houses and they were like a grand a day. And then you'd have, you know, a cameraman and sound guy, whatever. And I was like, well, this is a, we could make a film. Why are we, why am I wasting my time? You know, and sometimes when I'm on a, like when we we're on that short, um, I mean, don't get me wrong, uh, it, it was shot by a great DP called Howard Mills, whose skills are, are just, you know, in the stratosphere compared to what my knowledge is. But at the same time, the, the, the amount of time that we t- took to, uh, to set up and, and, and shoot certain shots and, and, uh, and get the composition right and, and get the lighting perfect, um, a lot of the time we sacrificed how many takes we could have, how, many t- how much time I could spend with the actors, you know, uh, how many scenes we could shoot, how many, sh- how many different bits of coverage we could get. Think through that frustration and knowing that if we shot with natural light, although the aesthetic would be much different, the end result, the storytelling wouldn't be. The eight grand, again, it's people. So you have 35 people on set. Um, they all need to be fed. They all need to get there. They all need to be paid. It just builds up, you know. And if you think that there was 35 people on set for two days of a shoot and on um, Lilo, we never had more than, you know, 10 people in the room. Um, sometimes we had five people on set. It's, it, you're literally just cutting your, slashing your budget by huge margins. Anybody with a budget, you know, and they've got the budget in front of them, a production budget, just start taking bodies out of that and see how quickly the money goes down. So if you yeah. can work way of getting your, you know, the logistics down, then, then you, 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 you've won half the battle. Because, I mean, think about the, 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 that, that set that we had, 35 people on set, and the luxury of the time and setups. That's essentially if you if you scale that up to twenty one days, that's a that's a big budget film, you know, or or medium budget independent film. So although you know it's great to to shoot like that on a short, I think it's a luxury to have all of that, and and it's not necessary for for, for this stage of somebody's career. You know, what you really want to be doing is experimenting with story and narrative. I think that's more important. Yeah, finding your feet as like an auteur in a way. That's the most important thing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, one of the most inspiring stories for me, I was, I was reading um, Truffaut Hitchcock and um, he was talking about the silent era, um, Hitchcock's silent era, and he would literally be given a camera, the two stars, 
<laughs> cameraman and two stars and they'd just fly off to Morocco and they'd shoot a scene. And the reason they could do that is because A, there was no sound and they were literally just working in visuals. Um, but also, you know, they were shooting like three or four films a year. Um, and, and, and the reason is that everybody was going to the cinema then. You know, it, that was the pastime. There was no TV at home. Um, so silent era films were just churned out. And that's how Hitchcock honed his craft from making lots and lots of content and making it at scale and making it with restrictions on the tools that he had. Um, and then so by the time he became a Hitchcock that everybody knows, he was, he, he'd done his, you know, his, he'd worked his craft. Um, and so I think a lot of people now, because it's so expensive to make films, they get so hung up on making their first film for 15,000. Like some people make their first shot for 15,000, you know, and then they want to graduate to making features and they want their first feature to be 2 million. Yeah. And they won't, and they won't make it for any, for any less than that. And that's insane to me. No, I, I completely agree. I think, you know, film at the end of the day is, is a business and you've got to kind of give people a reason to watch your films and you've got to give distributors a reason to even distribute it, you know, or, you know, yeah. Netflix to buy it off you or, or however it works. I mean, just kind of going back to what you said there, then I'm, this may sound like an obvious answer, but if you could choose then every time to work with a, a cast and crew of 35 or more versus a smaller scale production, would you go for the kind of the bigger, the more money or, or do, you, do you actually find things that you preferred about having it smaller scale? I suppose what I want to find is a sweet spot in between. Um, I want to find, I think the technology is definitely there now. You know, you can shoot on a gimbal and make it look like a steady cam operation. Uh, there's people, you know, videographers online who do some amazing work with gimbals and DSLRs. And it just, you know, it, it's a different aesthetic. You, you can't completely emulate, say, a, you know, a, a, a one of these mega crane shots. Um, I can't remember what they call it. Techno cranes, are they? But, you know, where you've got like five arms attached to one crane and, and you can do some amazing things with that. And that's really the high end budget films, your Transformers, your, your Star Wars. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I, if if it was, if I could have a very intimate set with a DP who was happy shooting in natural light, uh, a couple of sound guys, a small sound department, um, you know, uh, makeup, hair, maybe wardrobe, all tied in one. It just, I mean, to be honest, it depends as well on the story you're telling because, you know, if you want to tell an, an epic story that's a period uh, a piece, then you do need, you do need the army of, of cast and crew because you do need, you know, every single extra needs their wardrobe done. Um, you know, you need catering, you need uh, the logistics, you need uh, production designers. Um, but... I think, I suppose the end answer, I'm sorry, I'm waffling now, but I suppose the, the end answer is that I don't think it needs to be either or. I think one, whatever the story warrants. So if, if, if you've got a story that is epic in scale, you know, spans 10 generations, um, is a period piece, um, feels like it, it needs that grandeur of uh, high pyrotechnics and uh, then... 
sure you need you need the budget you need the production company behind you you need maybe three or four production companies behind you and you, and you need a huge cast and crew an army of cast and crew but if you're making a film about a a, a family um a, a kitchen sink drama almost you know i, th- I think we historically we've we've kind of come used to that cinema verite feel anyway. It kind of lends itself to that type of film. Um, for now, right now, the next couple of films, I'm going to be using this same process just to see how far I can push it. And while people are still interested in the fact that I could, you know, I made a film for 15 grand, because I think soon, in a couple of years, people will be doing it regularly. Well, I think the thing that stuck out for me that you mentioned was that when you got on a line producer, they looked at it all and, and worked out 150,000 as a minimum. 250,000. 250,000. I mean, that's, that's so much higher than what you've essentially done. So, I mean, I think I heard in a, in a different interview you did where you've actually said that the story didn't have to change much. I think you might have scaled back a couple of scenes, but how did they get that figure then? Again, it's, it, I think it's, it, it's personnel and time. So it's amount of people on set times the amount of time you're shooting. I originally said, when I decided to go this route, I originally said 10 grand, 10 days. It just became a mantra and I thought it sounded like it rolled off the tongue. Because I I thought, you know, I I could shoot a a short film for a grand. You know, I've I've got a documentary background. I shoot, I've self-shot, you know, um, a lot of uh, content. And I thought, you know, if I can get some game actors on board, um, we can just shoot a short film, essentially, one a day, and that'll cost 10 grand. Um, It didn't work out that way. It it, it worked out as 13 days and 15 grand. Your personal background, you've, you know, you've worked freelance as a director, um, cameraman, editor, and you've worked on corporate shoots and commercials and things like that. So when you compare, say, your short film, His Weight, which had a you know, big budget and big crew and everything, and then you compare it to Lilo, which is your 15 grand feature, very guerrilla-esque in a way, like really small-scale production. And then you also consider what you worked on commercials. I think you worked on a Greg's commercial. You know, like, which, which is closer to which? Because, I mean, to me, hearing you, it sounds like, working on a commercial for Greg's and working on a, you know, a funded short film are closer together than the short film and your feature film, which you've made on, on the, you know, on a a very small budget. The common factor with, with all, with anything you do, whether it's film, and I've heard this said a few times, actually, you know, like I've watched Hollywood Roundtable and people, you know, you get like Patty Jenkins sat there talking about when she made, uh, you know, an independent film, something like monster to to go into um you know wonder woman uh, it's the same it's the same thing you're trying to stretch what budget you have to make it look and feel even bigger than it is so i think you know with his work i storyboarded that film within an inch of its life because we shot something like 98 slates in two days which is insane. So even though we had all the comfort and luxuries of a, of a you know, a bigger crew and a much more professional sort of, uh, you know, uh, camera setup, um, we were still 
pushing it to the very, very edge so we could get as much as possible in there out of what we had. And I don't think that's ever going to change. Um, I suppose all I'm getting at is that, that if you're a filmmaker and you're thinking, I'll never have a, I'll never have 15,000 to be able to make a short film. I'll never have, you know, 150,000 to be, be able to make my first feature. Don't worry about that. Just go out and make your film for whatever you can make it for, whatever is available to you. You know, if I have, if somebody came to me tomorrow and said, do you want to make a two million pound budget and have a 35 deep cast and crew every day? I'm not going to say no, you know, but at the moment I feel like if I want to get a film made next year, which I want, which is my plan, then I'm going to make it with the same process because I know that I can. Whilst if somebody said to me, do you want to make a film for two million? I know that I'm going to have to jump through hoops and have lots of meetings and that might itself just be a general meeting. And there'll be just, there's a chance that that film will never ever see the light of day because when you get to a certain amount of money, you've got a lot of people who need to know how to make that money back. And so can they trust you as a filmmaker? Can they trust the production? Is the script ready yet? You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of process to go through. Um, a lot of people who, ha- you, you know, have to uh, give you the green light, essentially. Whilst I think staying at this level... I know I can make what I want to make and hopefully maybe three or four films down the line, I'll be a good enough filmmaker that I can start taking meetings and, 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 and get my script or maybe have an agent and get my script to people who, you know, can, can, uh, can give me those vanity budgets um, that I think ultimately everybody would like to work with. One of the things that really stands out for me with Lilo is the cinematography. I think it looks so much higher spec than what you'd think what you'd expect a fifteen thousand pound film to look like now you you shot it yourself and i don't mean this disrespectfully to the person who worked on his way because i mean you've obviously been very complimentary to them but for me personally i actually preferred the cinematography on lilo and and the fact that you've shot it yourself so obviously by being able to shoot and but and you edited the film as well straight away you've saved a lot of money that way from the budget there as well haven't you because i mean I'm guessing you've not paid yourself when you've worked out the budget. No, no, I haven't. Because I get a, a, a decent share of whatever profits it makes. So that's, that's you know, and also it's a career move. You know, it's, it's, it's a way of getting my foot in the door or getting my name uh, in a certain place where it might start getting attention as a, as a, as a filmmaker. So, it, you know, that's why I wouldn't get paid. So that's how I justify it. Um, and also, it's my passion, you know. So it's it's something I want to do. I, I I know that technically his wake is a bit is, is the cinematography is of a better standard. At the same time, I think you know, like you said, no disrespect for Howard. I think if Howard was listening to this, and he might agree, the reason why that might be that you might feel that way is because a lot of the time I'm getting in Howard's way, <laughs> you know, as a, as as the person who's directing the film. Um, he's he's a man of immense talent and and taste of his own, and in, if you see some of the projects that he's done, where he's took a little bit more of the 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 the, the, the reins on the actual aesthetic, the, the it's beautiful imagery. Um, I suppose what you get from shooting it on your own is you get a shorthand and you cut out the middleman. So when you're speaking to a DP. To get to a place where you're in sync, you need time and preparation. And a lot of the time you don't have that. 
you know, me and Howard would have a good relationship and we meet up regularly, but, you know, he's a busy man. I don't always have access to him. So a lot of the stuff that we're doing is on the actual set. Whilst with his weight, um, his Lilo, because I'm shooting it, I know what the storyboard says. I know what's in my mind. I don't have to describe it to anyone. I just need to find it myself on the day. So I think because of that, you get to where you want to be very quickly. And so, you know, the the, the, the bits that you lack in maybe uh, you know there's a, a bit of vignette in in places it's not as sharp in in, in some scenes um, the composition might be a little bit off um, that sacrifice is negligible enough that the end result of you shooting yourself you know you, I, I suppose if you it's it, I suppose like most of the, most directors that shoot themselves they end up having this really unique aesthetic where if you work through a DP, you're normally, it's kind of like a, a, a visual by committee because there's two, two brains working against each other almost. Um, and so it ends up somewhere in between your tastes. And that's not always an original place to be. So you've obviously mentioned that you kind of wanted to go out and make a feature film and essentially you've now made a feature film. So it's kind of a calling card for future work and it's something that shows what you can do. If somebody watched it and then obviously saw that you wrote the script, you directed it, you were the cinematographer, you edited it. If someone came to you and approached you and said, oh, I've got this this film I'm going to be making. I want you to be the cinematographer. Would you take that on board or did you purely do the cinematography because you know that you can through your previous experience and it was a way to save money? It happened. It's happened a couple of times since and I'm really shocked. Well, I, I kind of am. I'm, I'm not like there's a couple of people who've. No, not in any sort of big level, but the people, people have recommended me to a friend as a cinematographer or, or somebody's offered me that, that position. And I would, I, I could never do it. I could never, you know, um, I could shoot, you know, I, I regularly camera operate on corporate stuff and, and documentary stuff, but I can, for starters, if, it, if I was indoors and they'd hired a whole bunch of lighting, I just wouldn't know where to start, you know. Um, even if I had the best gaffer, um, you know, my girlfriend's a photographer. She is a master with lighting, literally. You know, Howard is a master with lighting. He knows what he knows his lenses. He knows the camera. He knows the inner workings. It, that That's what you want. That's the expertise you want from a cinematographer. I just know what I want to see. So, you know, if you've got a camera in your hand and you know what you want to see and you roughly know what time of day you should be shooting and where the light's going to come from and how it should be hitting somebody's face, you can shoot a, a decent image. And if you know how to, co you know, I mean, I do almost on storyboarding, so I'm going to be doing the composition and the camera movement myself. But, but to then jump ahead and say, I want to be a cinematographer, that's a big leap. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a big cinematographer fan and the people who I really admire are just way, way, way ahead of me. I, you know, I, I would struggle to get a job in a, in a kit store. So that's just being honest. And, and it's the same with writing, you know, like I, I could never get a job writing on, you know, um, on, a, on a series or something. I could never be in a writer's room, you know. Um, I, I don't have the knowledge of English language, even though I took the English language, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm not. There's a skill that writers have, you know, they, they write blogs, they write magazines that they, they write novels they they know words they, they 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 know grammar they you know i just 
I can write at the moment I can write for myself because until I meet or get a partnership with a writer who you know has my same sensibilities there's no point you know again you're going to be you're going to be working with material that you're not, that doesn't fit you uh, you know I, but at the moment I, I'm not I'm not interested in in those in being an editor solely on a film although I'd love to be I, w- I think that's the only job I would do on a film confidently is be an editor other than directing so what you're uh, saying is that when you write a script and shoot it as a cinematographer and then obviously edit it as well you're doing all those jobs because the story in the film has actually come from your head that's why you feel comfortable doing it on your projects yeah and it's out of necessity you know it's a pragmatic decision it's not because i think i'm the best editor cinematographer and you've got you've got to remember that if 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 you're in a post-production phase of a film and you've just spent 15 grand and you hire an editor, now two things are going to happen. Either you're going to have to hire a, um, like, you know, you have to going to hire out a dry, um, dry hire edit space, like a post-production house, um, and then get an editor to come in and then sit in with them for weeks to get your film edited. That's thousands of pounds in and of itself. You've got an editor might cost between 150 to 300 quid to 350 quid a day. This is, you know, mates rates. Then a dry hire is going to cost another maybe 300 quid a day. I mean, you know, these figures aren't solidly in my head, but that's how much it could cost. Whilst I can edit from home essentially for free in my spare time and all I lose is a day's work. But I've, I've, I've edited around my work. And so I was still making the same amount of money and, and, and living, being, you know, being able to pay my mortgage and, and, and just live my life whilst making this film. So the, what you say is priceless, really. And also, again, the communication thing. If I have to sit with an editor, you know, you, you get somebody who comes on board and says, oh, I can do it for 100 quid a day then they're going to have to work as well. So they're going to be working in between work. And sometimes that process can just drag on because they get a job that they're working on two weeks and then they phone you up and say, look, I'm going to have to get this first draft next, you know, next month. Um, and so working with other people extends the process and raises the amount of money that you have to put into it. Working by yourself is just a way to streamline the budget. So, with regards to the 15 grand budget then, where did you manage to raise that finance? Which avenues did you take in the end? It came from everywhere, you know. I got some money from my in-laws, I got some money from um, a production company that I've worked with in in the corporate sector. My sister um, worked, some of her, one of her friends that she'd worked with before helped invest. Yeah, it 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 was a strange thing. So you were essentially selling it on the sense that they might make money back. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, this is, the, this is the other thing. So when I was making the £150,000 film, somebody that was involved in the production then kept repeating the same mantra. We're not going to make any money from this. And you've got to tell your investors that, you know, the chances of them seeing their money back is very, very small which is why you, you sign up to the SAIS scheme, because the SAIS scheme, I think it guarantees 35% of your investment in a tax return. But, you know, if you're making a film for 15000 and all you need to make is 15000 back to give all of the investors their money back, that's much less, you know, it's a smaller margin to make up. 
Yeah, less risk, definitely. Um, and I just, I just start thinking, yeah, I think we can do this. I think, you know, I think we could easily make your money back. I'm not being completely unrealistic with them. I'm not saying you're going to make, you know, uh, thousands upon thousands. Uh, but, you know, I, I felt it wasn't disingenuous to sort of say, right, this is, we're going to make this for 15,000 and we're going to try and make this money back no matter what we do. We're either going to try and sell it um, get it to the festivals and try and find it some sort of sales agent or distribution or we're going to do self-distribution and get it online to iTunes and Vimeo online on demand sorry and Amazon and I researched all of these avenues crunched the numbers and yeah I mean you know I, I still feel that way now um, obviously it's a long road a long path to getting that money back but I do feel like I can at least break even but I don't you know I don't think Many of the people who invested got involved because it's a money-making scheme. If you if you want to make money from investing, you'd invest in property or something that's a little bit more, you know, a sure thing. I think people invest in this type of project because you know they want to be involved in the arts or they want to support the arts or they want to support me as somebody they know or you know as a family member or. So with, with regards to, obviously, putting it on Amazon Prime and YouTube movies and all these different avenues, if you don't mind me asking, like, how much do you make from, like, viewing? Is that how it works? Does somebody have to sit through the whole thing? If they stopped halfway through, do you not get paid? How, how does that work? Amazon works on minutes. Sorry, Amazon works on hours. So you get... Uh, it changes at the moment. It, it, it's been changing for a while, but the UK model is um, for every hour viewed in the UK you you get 0.04 pence sorry 0.04 pounds or four pence um per hour but that works on minute streams so you know if somebody doesn't watch for a whole hour it's not like you don't get that money it's the minutes that are streamed and then those total minutes add up at the moment we're over two million um, minutes streamed and that works out as as hours and then the US model is a little bit different. I think that's six dollars, and 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 so on, so around the you know around the globe have different rates. Um, but if if for example you rent it, not rather than subscribe, um, get it through subscription of Amazon Prime. If you rent it, Amazon take fifty percent, and we take fifty percent. So I, I think Amazon's got one of the best schemes. I don't actually know what the YouTube and Google Play scheme is. I should check. But different mod, different platforms have different ratings obviously have different rates sorry so if you don't mind me asking then i know this is you know people don't like talking about money and stuff but you mentioned two million minutes have have been viewed um, and, I, and i did notice actually that you had been tweeting saying how many minutes and i kept thinking why do you care how many minutes and this obviously now makes sense so <laughs> what, i've not got a calculator in front of me so what does two million minutes i don't know I haven't, I haven't worked at out yet and and to be honest i i because we went through a distribution company they have access to the analytics so i only get the analytics every quarter and the first analytics that we'll get uh, proper analytics it will be in october we, we we know roughly how many minutes have been streamed and and uh, you know we, we have a graph but i don't know exactly what that works out in terms of revenue but um, I have a calculator. <laughs> so you mentioned that you've gone through a distribution agency or something as well. So how does that work? Because could you not have just uploaded it yourselves as a yes? As a production? I mean, um, if you are a, um, hang on, a second, I'm just working out this thing. So it, so it should be about 
1,500 in revenue that we might have made through uh, Amazon so far um, in three months. Um, that's good, actually, isn't it, really? 10%, you, you, I would say that's good. I mean, you know, it's obvious that you don't really, the money isn't the, the issue for you. You want, essentially, to, for people to watch your film, don't you? I mean, is that the worry that, you know, even though you're tweeting about it and you're trying to promote it as much as you can, that essentially it'll just get lost with all the other stuff that's online, you know? Yeah, but I think that's true of, of cinema and DVD as well. I think, I, 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 I don't want to be coy about it. I, I, I do care about the money in only as much as that if we break even, we will be in the elite of films that haven't lost money. So that's a great position to be in, no matter what that means to people. You know, they might be like, well, 15 grand's not a lot to make back. But, you know, um, as a business and a business model, to not lose money is the aim. And the, and the reason why I do care about money uh, more than I might like to admit is because I want to do this. I want to do this as a living. I want to make films as a living. And the way to do that is to obviously make money from making films. It's hard to do, unless you're Adam Sandler, it's hard to make films and not make money each time and still get to make films again. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's not going to be the only source of revenue. There's going to be other platforms that we're on. But also, um, because we've got a distribution company, they will be taking us to AFM in November um, and hopefully Cannes in, in May. Um, and so there's deals to be made there that can further make revenue for the film. There'll be sales agents looking for particular films to, uh, to buy. For, uh, it might be for cable TV, it might be for the online channels, it might be for uh, you know, online distribution. And so, you know, I think we might not get on BBC or Sky. I, I don't know whether those avenues are open, but there might be the equivalent of the BBC and Sky in Germany or in China. I mean, China would be the market that everybody's trying to break because obviously it's, uh, you know, a billion people. And finally then, um, obviously a lot of the film is set in the villa in, in France where the character kind of essentially goes to lie low. And I heard you mention, um, I think it was on an interview when you, when you were at a film festival, you mentioned that it was through somebody that you'd approach for investment where they yeah. essentially gave you a permission to use it so did they give you that for free or how did that work because obviously that adds so much yeah it was it was it was it was gifted it was uh you know it was it was a they were helping me try to get investment and and got very enthused by the process but then were looking to invest themselves and then when they ultimately couldn't invest themselves it was you know uh Basically, they 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 said that they turned around and he said, uh, you know, I, I have access to a, a villa in France. Would you like to use that? I know it's not kind of fitting with the original script because at the time uh, the script was set on the coast of England, um, and I was trying to desperately trying to find a location for that. That would have cost probably. I was looking around four thousand pounds for that location, and so. I had to do the, the maths to, to, to work out whether getting everybody out there for flights and then putting them up in accommodation nearby um, would be cheaper uh, than that foreground. And it ultimately worked out cheaper. And so, you know, it added this extra facet to um, the production because suddenly we had this location that was very unique and, and was very like a big contrast between 
the sort of the Kent location or the London location, um, which was snowy and, and sort of midwinter, and and then this um, south of France location. Yeah, no, I think it definitely worked well. It was a blessing in disguise. And did you all live in the house while you were while you were making it? The crew, the crew stayed in the house, and the cast stayed in an Airbnb offsite. And so, you know, there was a real. They used to get picked up every morning and come to the set. And we, a lot of the times, we had breakfast together. On our days off, we'd go walking into the village together. It was always the original plan to get a location that was out outside of London, so that we could put a cast and a crew in a situation where they couldn't leave and go home. They had to stay. And then it's just kind of like, we're not leaving until we've made a film. And to be honest, you know, it, it works out better because obviously if you are driving for an hour to a film set and then at the end of the day you have to pack up and then you have to drive back and you've got other things to do once you get there. You might watch TV, you might, you know, get into an argument with your girlfriend, what, whatever. You know, with, with a film set where you're staying there and you're locked in, you know, it might be like, okay, let's... Is everybody okay just to do an extra hour, maybe? Or can we shuffle things around here so that you guys aren't working an extra hour, but, you know, we overlap? Or, you know, uh, some of the actors were making us food by the end of, of, of this thing. So there's, you know, you're more flexible. And I was able to get up at, like, 6 o'clock in the morning and get some really nice vistas of the sun setting or the sun rising. And, and I could afford to do that because it wasn't, it was just me getting up a bit earlier, you know. It wasn't wasn't a hard, um, a hardship. So yeah, I, I think I think I'd recommend that as well. If you can find like a nice location that you can stay nearby or stay on that location, and you're not going to kill each other. <laughs> I mean, you know, it did, a, when you just described it, though, it did sound like a bit of a hostage situation when you said the crew <laughs> they can't leave. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, kind of. I mean, I never said you know we can't leave. It was always in jest, but. <laughs> Hey, you know, I mean, there was tense moments where people were a bit, you know, frustrated with the situation or, or you know, if, if an actor was called to set and then didn't have to shoot anything uh, for a while because of the way the schedule worked out, that was a bit frustrating for them. But I think, you know, you get that frustration on any film set and in any logistic, any logistics that are worked out on a film set, you know, there's going to be somebody who's going to have to have a little bit more patience than another member of the crew or cast. Everybody's always going to get tense personalities, clash. Um, but, I mean, that's another thing you need to do. You need to make sure that all the, the crew are nice people that you'd like to spend time with, and the cast as well. You don't want to hire people that, you know, that you, or, that you clash with in the casting session, <laughs> you know, um, or in the pre-production session. If you're clashing at the pre-production session, you're going to have, you know, problems at the production level Jamie Noel thank you very much once you start putting yourself out there you know even if people can't invest they're aware of your film so when it comes to you marketing the film they become fans or they become you know people who promote your film 